Well, I've been going through Romans for quite some time. I, I can't recollect when we started. It must be five years ago. It's, uh, shrugging, even Lizzie's shrugging her, her shoulders. But uh, we spent, obviously, we started in chapter one. And the first 11 chapters all about the gospel. And it's a, a real wow as we look at the glory of what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a change now from chapter 12 onwards. It becomes application where Paul says, well, in the light of the wow of the gospel, this is how you must be living. There's application. I can't just believe or say I believe certain things. There's a balance in the Christian life. If I believe certain things, it will change me and I'll live in a certain way. What I believe, I live. So it's like walking. What I believe, I will live. What I believe, I will live. Everybody is a philosopher. We live our lives according to what we believe. And if I really believe the gospel is true, that God becomes one of us, he who was rich for your sakes became poor. If I really believe that, it's got to change my life, the Holy Spirit comes to live within me if I really am a genuine believer. And uh, although I'm not perfect, I'm counted as perfect in Christ, but there's a battle then. I'm still a sinner. I'm a saved sinner, a sinner saved by the grace of God. And through the word and by the Spirit, I need to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And chapter 12 onwards, chapter of application since this is what God has done, this is how I should live. But not in my strength, my hope to follow duly is in thy strength uh, alone. Um, nothing I can do in my own strength, as Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any spiritual good or worth. I can only sin uh, without him. So I need his strength. And I find chapters 12 onwards very challenging. And if chapters 1 to 11 are wow, then I hope we're getting this by now. Chapter 12 onwards, it's ow. Because it ought to hurt. If I preach it correctly and you hear correctly, it ought to hurt. If you can say at the end of this sermon, oh, that was lovely. Wasn't that lovely? Wasn't that right grand? We'd say up north. Well, there's something wrong. Pastor, that hit my heart. Well, remember, it hit my heart as I prepared it uh, as well. And we've been through chapter 12. We got into chapter 13 and last Sunday evening, looking at the Christian's relationship and responsibilities towards the state and authorities that God has set in place. And so now we come to the latter part of chapter 13. And uh, love is the dominant theme. Uh, again, because love is the fulfillment of the law of God. If I had a title, it might be, it's quite a lengthy one, Living a Life of Love in the Light of Reality. The reality, chapters 1 to 11, and my response is to live a life of love, uh, chapters 12 to 16, in the light of reality, the reality of what God has done for me. And if verses 1 to 7 of chapter 13 about, are all about, and they are all about my relationship to the government and the local city council and the county council and authorities that God has set in place to do you and I good. And Paul is writing this when Nero is the emperor. 
But Nero kept the Pax Romana. All right, there were wild excesses that someone like Nero went to, but there, there was an authority. There was law. There was the Roman coinage and finances and the Roman roads and the Roman armies and the Roman peace. And we've got much to thank God for, particularly uh, in this nation, for stable governments for hundreds of years. And we saw last week every government is given by God, whether it's left, right, centre, whether it's democracy or dictatorship, whether it's free economy or communism, every government is ordained of God and has a mandate under him to keep law and order, and we ought to thank God for them and to pray for them that we might live peaceable lives. And that's the first seven verses. Verse eight to the end would be my relationship to all the people in the state, whoever I might meet. The passage is going to speak about loving my neighbor as myself and who is my neighbor, anybody I might meet. But the governing verse is really verse 8. And it's interesting it follows after verse 7, obviously. Something of a logic there. So let me read verse 7 again. Pay to all what is owed. So this idea of owing somebody something and a debt. So he's saying here, don't, don't have debts. Pay what you Oh, now it's not saying don't have a mortgage, don't take out a, a loan. Uh, if you've worked it out, you can repay that. Of course, there's a place for, for that. But don't have debts and forget them. Pay them. Pay to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honour to whom honour is owed. So don't owe anybody anything. But then there's an exception. Verse 8. And this is the governing uh, thought for the passage now, chapter, the rest of chapter 13. Owe no one anything. But then there's an exception. Except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The only debt I should have is a debt of love. Now, love has come from God to my heart, and in response, I should love him back. So I'm a debtor to love God. In the light of his great love for me, uh, all I can do is love him. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, to, to long to be near him, to serve him, to please him. As this uh, hymn by Top Lady doesn't speak about love, but it's the same idea. A debtor. I'm a debtor to mercy alone. Of covenant mercy I sing. The only debt I should have is the debt to love. Principally coming from God and rebounding back to God. But then amongst us, I should receive love from you. It comes to me. And then I'm in debt to you to pay back that debt of love to you and then back to me and then back to you, serving each other, loving each other deeply from the heart, from me to you, to you, to me, this debt to love 
and to go on loving all, no one, anything except to love each other. Verse 8 is like a pocket verse, a little handy verse to keep in mind. For, he says, the one who loves another, here's the thing, you see, if you can keep this, this debt to love others, we'll think about what it means in a moment, but here it is, a little pocket uh, reminder. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, that's our problem. Why, why, why did the Father have to send the Son? Why did the Son have to come? Why did the Spirit have to work to give me new life and uh, make me see my need? That need kept met in Christ. Well, it's because I've broken the law. And the law has lots of negatives. Do not, do not, do not. But in essence, it's a great positive. Love, love. If I could love my neighbour, if I could really love you, being told here is something very profound. We don't need the throw it away. You've done what God would expect if you can love your neighbour as yourself. It's, so it's like a pocket verse here. Now there are several of them in the Bible. Um, Farm church this afternoon. It was looking a bit iffy. It was lovely about two o'clock and uh, you could see the clouds rolling in. Now, one couple arrived. They're actually on duty on the doors at the moment and the lady got out and she said, I've come prepared. I've got my coat. I've got my umbrella, but I've got my light wear on at the moment. I'm prepared. For, I've got the hat. It's all, it's all. I said, you must have been a girl guide. Yes, I was a queen scout. Well, I was a boy scout and uh, going on boy scout camps and one of the things we all had as boy scouts was we had the boy scouts knife remember those knives everything was on it scissors uh, knife mini saw file a thing for taking stones out of the hoof of a horse i never got to use that one but it, it was there they were all there. bottle opener can opener everything and it all fit in your pocket now Back at home, Dad had got a massive tool chest in the garage. But really, essentially, everything was on that little pocket knife. Screwdriver, Phillips, flatheads. It was all there. You could carry it around. The Boy Scout was always ready for every situation. Now, this verse is one of those very handy verses to keep in mind. All no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Many other examples. Well, not many. There are several. Here's another one. These pocket knife verses that really boils the Bible down to a minimum. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. That's Mark. That's why it doesn't make any sense. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Ah, what a verse. Do you want to summarise the Old Testament? Jesus sums it up so well here. 
You don't, well, it's good, it's good if you can memorise the whole of the Old Testament. Who's done that? Anybody here memorise the whole of the Old Testament? The law and the prophets? Well, Jesus says, here's a little handy pocket knife verse for you then. If you're unsure of how to behave in a certain situation, I'll tell you, says Jesus, because this summarises the Old Testament. Whatever you would wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Um, Another one, James chapter 2 and verse 8. If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbour as yourself. You are doing well. So James inspired here to call it the royal law. The king law. This is the one. Love your neighbour as yourself. That wonderful, wonderful pocket verse. So here we are back in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. This governing verse or no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do you know there's a real danger in the Christian life? Um, let's say, now there's nothing wrong with memorising the whole of the Old Testament. Go on, have, have a go. Um, I don't think you'll succeed, but some people might have a brain to actually absorb it all and to remember and memorise passages of, of Scripture. I remember being on a, a, a camp one summer. I was there as a guest speaker, and they had a, a concert evening, and uh, lots of things were, were going on, and one lad for his party piece. It wasn't a party piece. It was really very lovely. He stood up, and he, uh, he just quoted from memory uh, the book of Philemon. I thought, well, that's very good. I couldn't do that, but he did that. Little lad, eight years old memorized Philemon Um, but you know to have all scripture memory and to have it all there to have all the doctrines sorted out uh, to be able to know a systematic theology such as uh, Louis Burkhoff a few years ago as a church we went through baby Burkhoff little paperback book but then there's big Burkhoff the big uh, volume of uh, Burkhoff's systematic theology. You know, to, to have all that theology, to have all that scripture memory, if I have all that, but I don't have this, and I don't love my neighbour as myself, then my theology and my knowledge is ugly. And it's dangerous. And it's harsh. And it's critical. And it's proud. It's censorious. I'm doing it right and you're not and things should be done our way and uh, we Baptists, we are the the only ones who are getting it right and you Presbyterians, well, you you try your best but you've made an utter mess of things and you Charismatics and you Pentecostals, this censorious party spirit. Just reading through Mark's Gospel again and uh, doing the the podcast, I come up to... um, Oh, Lord, um, we saw a man doing miracles in your name. But we stopped him because he's not one of us. Jesus has to rebuke them. 
Do not stop him. Do not stop him. No one who does something in my name can then go against me. He who is not against me is is for me. Do not stop him. Well, the danger of having all the truth all worked out. If there's no love there, it's an ugly and a dangerous thing that Christ will not own. So love, the one who loves another, has fulfilled the law, the law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the heart of it all. So let's think a little bit more on this. What is this love? Uh, Love is all you need, sang uh, the the Beatles. Uh, Love. Well, of course, the Greek word agape. It's not the phileo here. It's not eros. It is agape. And agape is this love of God, love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. It's personified in the Lord Jesus Christ who comes and gives his life as a ransom for for many. It's this uh, love of God, agape. It's love without a reason. Uh, Why do I love spending time with a certain person? Well, we have things in common. We get on our conversation flows. I get something from that relationship and give something back. Uh, that's, That's not agape. Uh, agape is love without a reason. Why should God love you and me? There's no reason, but he does. And that's, that's what's being said here, that my love for you and your love for me shall flow from God, from me to you, you to me, indebted to love each other, but it's the agape love. But what is very wonderful about this verse 8 as well, the one who loves has... Fulfilled the law. Now the law is numos, it's the, it's the Decalogue, it's the Ten Commandments. And we'd all love to keep them, we want to please our Heavenly Father. Here's how you do it, you love your neighbour as yourself. If you do this, you have, now the word is, is ful- fulfilled the law. If you love another, you have fulfilled the law. Just think about that word fulfilled. The Greek word pleru. It's a very wonderful word. It means you've filled it up. It means you've crammed everything into it. Pleru, to cram, to pack it in. Really, everything being pushed in there. Uh, Liberally supplied, pleru. Filled up, crammed in, liberally supplied, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, not in word and letter only, but the spirit of the Decalogue and the Ten Commandments you have kept. And that it's the Ten Commandments, quite clear from verse 9. For, because, this is why it's so important, the commandments, and he gives some of them, and then he says, etc., and the rest, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder You shall not steal, you shall not covet, there's four. And then any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall agape, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling 
of the law. You understand the law, the Ten Commandments, the first four, my relation to God. The next six, my relation to my neighbor. If I love my neighbor to this standard, this agape, I cannot possibly do that unless I am loving God, first of all, because that is the primary love, which is why loving my neighbor as myself fulfills the whole of the law. If I'm keeping the first four, I will keep the next six. The governing of the six is by the first four, my love to God. You'll have no other gods before me. You'll not take the Lord's name uh, in vain. You'll not make any images, neither physical nor in your imagination. You'll worship him as he actually is. You'll keep his day special, my love to God. And then flowing from that, my love to my neighbour. Now, if I can keep this love to my neighbour, I fulfil the whole of the law. And the question might come, and the question did come from a lawyer to Jesus Christ. Well, this is a big ask, and and who is my neighbour? And so from that, Jesus Christ, of course, told a parable which told the lawyer exactly who his neighbour was. It's the Good Samaritan. And uh, here goes the the Jew. He's on his way uh, down from Jericho, and he falls among the thieves, and they rob him and strip him and beat him up. He's half dead. And um, eventually, uh, a Levite comes by, looks at him, not my neighbour, passes by the other side. And then comes a priest, looks at him, not my neighbour, passes by on the other side. Along comes a Samaritan, And uh, he goes up to him. He helps him. Cleans him, dresses the wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn and gives the two coins and look after him. If you're out of pocket, I'll refund it when I'm next back. Who behaves as a neighbour to him who fell among the robbers? Oh, the one who helped him. Go and do likewise. Who is my neighbour? Anybody who crosses your path. Impossible to keep, of course it is in our own strength. Without Christ we can do nothing. Who is my neighbour? Who do I have to love to this standard? Anybody who crosses my path. That's how I behave to people in society generally. In our own strength. It simply can't be done. It simply can't be done. Which is why day by day, I need to be in the word and in prayer and be on the sacred page to seek him who loved me and gave himself for me, to be reminded and refreshed and invigorated moment by moment. That's my responsibility. That's the royal law. That's the pocket knife theology. Oh, God is pleased if I can love my neighbor as myself, for that is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Well, if that's the, um, the governing verse in this particular section, the love, now we come to this next section, verses 11 to 12, which speaks about the time, the time that we are living in. He says, besides this, you know the time. You know the time. If I ask you, what time is it? I'm asking you, what time is it? don't know what you'll do about answering that question. For me, it's quite easy. I can look straight ahead to the clock there. 
Uh, maybe you could do that. But increasingly, people don't do that. They do this. And I'm, again, I'm informed what the time is. And in case you didn't know, it's now 1749, or about 10 to 6. What's the time? A watch, a clock, a telephone. You know, our lives are governed by time. It's time to, to get up. Now, I went to bed last night. I set my alarm for 7.20, I think it was, yeah. But then about 7 o'clock, I thought, no, another 10 minutes. So I pushed it on a bit to 7.30. I thought, well, if I just doze again, 20 minutes is just too, too soon. And I eventually it was 7.40. But anyway, time, time to get up. Time to go to work. I get up because I've got to go to work. Or time to go to school. Or time for lunch. What time? Lunchtime. The bell goes lunchtime. Uh, time to watch a match. I don't know, something happening this evening later on. I don't, I don't know. What is something going on? And there's a certain time that the match starts. There's been a, 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 a big tennis match this afternoon. A time uh, for that. Time for dinner. Time to go home. Uh, bedtime, time, sets my agenda, it governs everything that I do. What time is it shapes what I'm going to do and how I feel? Maybe around about half past ten tonight as the penalties are starting. Time, tension. Maybe it's England winning, 1-0, there's two minutes to go. You know, those two minutes will last an age. But if England are losing 1-0, those two minutes will go so very quickly. Time. Situation, circumstances governed by, by time. Well, the Apostle's writing here, inspired by the Spirit. You know the time. Well, what, what time is it? What time is it? You know the time. That the time has never changed from when Paul penned these words to, to now. Uh, the alarm bell is ringing. And we're told it's time to waken up besides all this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep to wake from sleep wake up sleepy christians is it is it possible remember paul writes to rome probably in response to things he's heard about the roman church and one would be this someone said to him do you know they're a bit sluggish in rome uh, he said it earlier on, if I can just uh, find it. Yeah, verse 11 of chapter 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in your zeal. How can you have slothful zeal? Strange thing. We thought at the time, maybe the comments were, well, he's a bit slow, but once he gets going, there's no stopping him. But he takes a bit of getting going. You know, when... When you're waking up in the morning, oh, but by the time you've had a shower and a cup of coffee or tea, suddenly, the, you know, you're going, you're going. Wake up, says the apostle inspired by the Spirit. You're, you're asleep. He's hearing about sleepy Christians in, in Rome in the first century. What about in St. Melons? What about listening at home on YouTube? Maybe you're listening to a recording. Are you asleep in the light? All that Christ has done? 
The sun has risen with healing in his wings. Are, are you and I asleep? What about the church at St. Melons? In Rome, there were sleepy Christians. In Ephesus, there were sleepy Christians, where Paul has to write, Awake, O sleeper, and rise, come out from among the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When Christ speaks to the church at Sardis, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. They're asleep. Asleep in the light. Or wake up, says the apostle. Because, for. Now, two things he says here, and both are applicable to us. I don't need to waken up. Number one, your salvation is nearer than when you first believe. That's an obvious statement. So I was converted... I've told you this, uh, August 1976, so I'm going to be uh, 45 this, this August, converted when I was 19. Um, are my salvation's nearer now than when I first believed? Of course it is, 45 years closer. I'm not going to live on planet Earth another 45 years, am I? What would I be then? Let me think now. Uh, 109. I think I'll reach 109. Jill's saying, I hope he doesn't reach 109. But uh, Obviously, my full salvation is closer now than when I first believed. And so for every one of us, we're on that conveyor belt. It's moving forward. So waken up. There's a, there's a great dawn coming. And then as well as that, for mankind generally... Uh, this age is closer to its close than it was when we first believed. It's closer to its close than it was when Christ first rose from the dead. Here's a great truth. Verse 12, the night is far gone. It's almost spent. The night is almost over. The day is at hand. Oh, and the Bible speaks about the day. Here's the return. It's not just my death now, my salvation, getting to heaven's closer than when I first believed. But something else is very true. Wake up, be alert, get on with things because Christ's return. The day is closer and we live as if it were today. Living every day as if this were our last. I mean, the apostles were expectant of Christ's return. At any moment, and we ought to be expectant. Why has it been so long? Well, we know a thousand day years are like a day to the Lord, and a day is a thousand years. So be, be ready and be prepared, because this great event could happen at any time. All right, we, we went through Romans chapter 11, and that great gathering of the Jews that will happen before Christ returns, it seems. But that could happen tonight. God can convert a whole nation overnight. Of course he can. Then you might say, oh, we haven't had the rule of the Antichrist here and uh, the man of perdition. Well, I'll grant you that one. But always to be living as if and looking to that great day and living to hasten the day, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Is it verse 9? Hastening the day. 
living in such a way and taking opportunities and people being converted. And when the last of God's people is saved, then the end will come. But listen to this again. The night is far gone. Do you groan about this world at times? We were thinking about a list of men really struggling, illnesses. There's a day coming when all that's gone. The day will dawn and the sun will never set again. In the light of that, wake up. Wake up. And he's speaking to Christian people in Rome. And he's speaking to Christian people in St. Melons. And in the light of my salvation being closer and the day being at hand, we're told to do something. Well, two things, a negative and a positive. And they come in verse 12 and again in verse 14 and 13. Here, here they are. Things I've got to put off and things I've got to put on. Wake up. And there's a very forceful word now. Let us cast off. The works of darkness. See, here's the old man, the expression of the old man, the way I used to live, the way I used to think. Cast it off. It's a strong, strong word. Uh, cast off. It's, it's used many times in the New Testament. The only time it's used for a physical activity is when the Sanhedrin took hold of Stephen when he was testifying before the Sanhedrin and they cast him out and they stoned him. There's something very strong about this. this. It's not just, oh. And the Bible does say, put off the old man, put on the new man. Here it's very strong. Cast him off. Cast off the deeds of darkness. And then he, he gives uh, a list of, of things. Uh, or, remember that? Speaking to Christians in Rome. Would you believe? Speaking to Christians. More than that, he's speaking to first century Christians. You know, we got this, uh, this idea that, oh, if we were for in the first century, that, that afterglow of the life and death and resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, oh, the church must have been very wonderful. Let us walk properly, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. Cast these off and walk appropriately. Cast these off and put on, verse 12, the armour of lights. We're in a battle. Put on the armour day by day. I think that's number four, isn't it? In my list of the most important things I've ever heard in 45 years as a Christian. Number one, still, read your Bible, say your prayers every day. I think it's in at number four, put on the armour of light every day. We're in a battle. Satan looking to derail us, put us out of action. He can never stop us getting to heaven. He can make us ineffective, put on the armour of light. Uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14. How, how lovely. Put on Jesus Christ. Uh, Declare your allegiance by the way that you live. There'll be two groups of supporters tonight declaring their uh, allegiance. When I get home, I'm probably going to put on my, my England shirt. And I don't need to do that. Don't need to do that. 
As a Christian, I put on, it's not a badge I wear. I remember when I first met Jill, little badge, Jesus saves. That first attracted me to her. Wasn't her stunning good looks? Right? That's, that is true, but that wasn't the primary thing. It was her little badge, little yellow one, with silver words, Jesus saves. I'd recently been converted. She had a guitar, I had a guitar. Why am I saying that? What am I talking about here? Oh yeah, badge of allegiance. <laughs> I don't need, need a badge. It should be my whole, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Display him. My conversation, loving my neighbor as myself. That's that rule of thumb. Do to others as you have them do to you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I forgive myself lots of things. Do I love myself? Yet, yeah, despite my faults, I'll still give myself a little treat here and there. Yeah. Despite my faults. And when I look at you, I can see your faults. I love you because Christ loves me. I should love you as I love myself. Despite my faults, I still love myself and I should love you. Two, and I put off the expressions of the old man. I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the light of his return, I ought to prepare myself for that great event. Lord Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Live as he lived. Or let me see thy footmarks and in them plant my own. My hope to follow duly is in thy strength alone. Oh, guide me, call me, draw me up, hold me to the end, and then in heaven receive me, my master and my friend. I mentioned at the start, I think as I did the, the reading, uh, Augustine, a wild young man, immoral there in the uh, fourth century. His mother was a Christian, and she used to pray for him never seemed to have any effect. She despaired at times, but kept on praying for Augustine, a well-known rascal and immoral young man. One day, under a real sense of conviction suddenly, under a fig tree in a Milan garden in the summer of 386, in the throes of anguish, a prostrate, sobbing Augustine heard a voice from a child over the fence. Pick up and read, pick up and read. It was a little rhyme the child was saying. It was Latin, tolle legge, tolle legge. Once, says Augustine, my countenance changed. I stopped the flood of tears and I stood up. I interpreted the saying solely as a divine command to me to open the Bible and read the first chapter I may find. I hurried back to the place that Olypius, my friend, was sitting. There I had put down the Bible. I seized it, opened it, and in silence read the first passage my eyes lit on. Not in riots, drunken parties, not in eroticism and indecencies, not in strife and rivalry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its lusts. Romans 13, 13 to 14. 
I neither wished nor needed to read further. At once, with the last words of this sentence put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart. All the shadows of doubt were dispersed. If you're not saved tonight, Jesus Christ is your only hope. You've broken the law. Christ kept it for you. That's why he came, because you can't do it. Then he died to pay your debts. He rose again to prove it's all true. And all you need to do is trust in him. Repent of what you are and what you've done. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him and you shall be saved. If you are converted, keep putting him on. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Cast off the deeds of darkness. Wake it up. Your salvation is closer than when you first believed. And the night is far spent. And the day is about to dawn. Let's in his strength live to him and to his glory. Let's show this love. Let's love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. Pray you'd speak to us each one in a way that we need to be spoken to and speak to us collectively too as a gathered church, we pray to your glory.